If you guys have a Bible, you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 4. We'll get there in just a sec. You guys ever grown up? Did you guys ever play the game Simon Says? Is that, do people still play that? You guys want to try it? Okay, Simon Says, stand up. Simon says, shake the neighbor, the hand of the neighbor to your right. (laughs) It worked perfect on my head. Simon says, look up at the ceiling. Look down. Simon says, sit down. Stand up. I used to play it all the time, right? It was kind of this, this fun game that we played. Um, it's interesting, though, because I watched this video, and I, and I think about the commands in Scripture. Um, it's almost like when Jesus says something like, we don't really think it means much. Right? When Jesus gives us a command, gives us an instruction, um, we can kind of do it or not do it. You know, um, imagine uh, if Mikhail was a little older, and I said, Mikhail, I want you to go clean your room. And, uh, you know, so she leaves. She comes back, and she's like, Dad, I memorized what you said. Mikhail, I want you to go clean your room. Okay, so, or or she's like, Dad, I'm going to invite all my friends over, and we're going to do a study on what it would look like if I actually cleaned my room. But what's interesting is, when it comes to the words of Christ, oftentimes, like, this is how we view it. That we don't really have to do what he says, and so we've really compartmentalized our faith. Our faith has become paralyzed by um, the, the interpretations, the misinterpretations of how we view Jesus and whether or not we actually have to do what he says. So we just file into church and, you know, um, file out of church, and then our lives don't really look like he calls them to live, but yet we put on this front like they do. It's interesting. Now, let me ask this question. Uh, how long have you been a Christian? Okay, let's do this. Um, less than five years. Raise your hand. Less than five years. Okay. Less than ten years. Some of you are thinking, you're like, man, I don't know. Less than ten years. Okay, a couple more hands. Uh, let's do fifteen years. Less than 15 years. See, everyone's hands that's been up should continue to be up. But that's okay. That's okay. John's up here like, keeps raising his hand. I'm like, you're on it. 15 years? Um, 20 years? So people in the 20s? Okay. 25 years? 30 years? Okay? I want you to think about this for a second. Okay? What's the, what's the fruit of that in our lives? Do like, you know what I'm saying? Here's statistically, most Christians will 
the, the, the evidence of their Christianity, and we could, you know, define evidence in, in you know, whatever way, um, because it's not really a good evidence, but the evidence of their Christianity is simply that um, they just go to church. Okay, so you go to many churches across America, and you ask people that same question, how long have you been a Christian? How long have you been a Christian? What's the evidence in your life? Have you, have you invested your life in it? Have you, have you reproduced yourself in it? Have you made any disciples? Huh? I'm just supposed to come here. Because um, several weeks ago, um, I defined discipleship this way. Um, someone who learns to be like Jesus and learns to do what Jesus could do. Okay, we're going to dive uh, one step further. We spent two weeks, several weeks back, we're going to dive one step further in this idea of discipleship. And I, but I want to think about this. Um, when you look at Christ's life, at the end of his life, there was one thing on his mind at the end of his life. Here's what he said in John chapter 17, verse 6. He said this, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. What, what is he saying? He's saying, here, in this moment, at the end of my life, he's, he's pleading with his father and he's saying, you gave me a mission. And that mission was to, to, to give you, to give your kingdom, to give a picture, to give salvation to the people that you bring into my influence. And he's like, I did it. I, I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. So it's like he's taken responsibility for the spiritual development of those 12 guys. Okay, 11 of them took, one of them didn't at the sovereign hand of God, we learn in the scriptures. Okay, what about Paul? What about the apostle Paul? Okay, his, at the end of his life, he says, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now, many Christians take that way too literal, keep the faith. It's like it's, it's, you just hoard it, it's my faith. Um, it's my relationship with God. Um, but Paul, if you know anything about his life, um, it wouldn't say, it would look anything like that. Colossians chapter 1. My mind's been on this passage for, for probably a month now. Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29. Here's what Paul says. Him, talking about Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Now, um, many of you know that uh, uh, my wife and I, Danielle, are training for a marathon. So I thought I'd just come show you what we've done. So I pulled these out of my drawer. Um, I never had a desire to run. It was more like Danielle had a desire to run, and so she's like, my life goal is to run a marathon. I'm like, like a good husband, I was like, I'll support you in that, babe. And next thing you know, like, I'm running half marathons, and I run a half marathon before her. Um, and so, like, I don't know how many of you, like, keep your old trophies. Like, I think they're just, you might as well just throw them away, right? Well, so these are in a drawer, and I decided to pull them out um, and just think back about um, this one. Uh, I was talking to Danielle about it. This, this one here, this is the, the Lewis and Clark Half Marathon 2010. Um, we ran it, what's called Bandit. Um, which means you don't pay, you just run. And, and, uh, but we didn't like take anything that cost, okay? So like we didn't drink any Gatorade because that would cost them money. We didn't take any of their gels because that would cost them money. Um, and at the end of the race, like I was like, I'm not taking a medal. Like I didn't pay. I'm not taking a medal. So Danielle crosses the finish line um, and 
there's a lady there with all the medals, and she looks at Danielle and says, you did so good. And Danielle, like we talked about, like we're not going to take a medal. Like we didn't pay. We're just, we're just, it was kind of part of some training we were doing. And, and, uh, and so the lady like looks her in the eye and is so excited, and Danielle's like, I can't tell her like I don't want one, right? And so like she, she took it. It's like, Dave, what do I do? Like I took a medal. Do I put it back? Hey, but what's interesting is like on many levels, and we're training for this marathon October 21st, um, and like I, I don't care about these. Okay, and, and I brought these more, more, to sh- more to say this. Like I have one goal in this marathon. It's to cross the finish line with my wife. Because I never had a desire to run a marathon. It was her desire. And so that's my only goal is to cross the finish line with my wife. I could almost care less. Almost. I mean, there's a little bit of me that wants a certain time. Like, I can almost care less about the time. I just want to cross the finish line with my wife. But, but here's the deal. Like, imagine me going, like, standing before Jesus in the end and saying, look at me. Yeah, um, I ran this one, 2006. That was our first one. Lord, um, here, this is for you. Um, th- this one here, like, killer time. Like, I mean, how silly is that, Right? Like, here, here's, here's my, here's what I want to show you. Here's my medals. These are for you. Okay, now go back to Colossians. Look, look up on the screen. Colossians chapter 1. Look at what it says. This is striking. <coughs> Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present. Okay, wait a second. We're presenting something to Jesus. What, what does it say? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. So it's like, in the end, it's as if like Jesus is counting something. It's as if Jesus is saying, I want you to present to me the people that you personally parented spiritually. And for us, what is it like? Well, Jesus, I, you know, I went to church. Jesus, I was in a community group. I tried hard at my faith. What does this say? That we may present mature in Christ. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. Paul's like, I work so hard for this. Struggling with all his energy. Okay, I know some of you sit right here and you're like, I, I can't do that. I could never do that. How am I going to present? Okay, first of all, I'll just say like, I would have told you before I ever started running, there's no way I would ever run a marathon. Or a half at that. Okay, but notice what Paul says Working with all his energy. He puts it in you. If he calls you to something, he's going to equip you to, to, to enable you to do it. Okay, so let me ask this question. Like, what are your, what are your passions? What are your gifts? What are your, how, how are you using those as a means to fulfill the mission that he has on your life? And in the end, when you stand before the Lord, namely, the, the only thing that's going to get you into heaven isn't how many disciples you made. It's the work of Christ, Right? So don't, I'm going to make that painstakingly clear. So we don't come to Jesus and saying, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask people is, when you stand before God in heaven, and he says, why should I let you in? What would you say to that? The only right answer is, based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's the only right answer. Okay? Not, look at how many disciples I made. But there's some emphasis in Scripture that talks about the works that we do, Right? Okay, so here's the question I want to answer today. How are disciples made? 
Okay, several weeks back we talked about the called out identity of a disciple, this idea that we're called to come follow Jesus, okay, and then the week after that we talked about uh, a disciple being sent out, we looked at the Great Commission, so I want to talk about the how of the Great Commission, like how do you actually fulfill the Great Commission, okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you got it? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll begin at verse 14. I do not write these things to you. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I want you to know something here. Um, who is the Apostle Paul writing to in this passage? Anybody know? Come on. Who is he writing to? The Corinthians. Okay, which is, which would be like, you know, in our context, we'd be like saying the Missourians, right? The Florentians. Okay, the, the people that lived in that community, okay, the believers in Corinth, he's writing to them. And no, but what does it say? It says, my beloved children. Okay, so this isn't like a church full of Paul's biological family. Okay, Paul isn't even married. He talks all the time about his children. Okay? He didn't have a whole bunch of children outside of marriage, right? Okay, what is he talking? He's talking about spiritual parenthood. He's talking about being um, responsible, being a parent in such a way that you, you develop and mature Christians in the faith. You take responsibility for them, for their spiritual growth, their progress, their development. They're maturing in the faith. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you. Okay, that word admonish, admonish, it's the same word in Colossians chapter 1, um, verse 28, when Paul says, warning everyone. Okay, um, now keep going. Verse 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, so think about this. Okay, uh, how are these Paul's children? It says... By the gospel. The gospel is what it calls him out and enables him as a follower of Jesus to have an identity of being a spiritual parent. Okay, of being um, a, a parent who invests themselves, pours their life into someone else to see that they're brought to maturity in Christ. Um, now, there's something we have to look deeply in here because Paul draws a distinction between Two things. What are they? It's like you got a whole bunch of these things called guides. Um, but the problem is, is you really don't have many fathers. Okay, so what is he talking about? Guides versus fathers. Okay, we could probably get an idea of what a father is, but historically, um, we have to understand this idea of guide because there's, there's really, it's, it's tough to translate because there's really not a modern day equivalent of guide. Okay, here's what a guide was historically in this um, Greek context. Okay, a guide was almost like a tutor or a guardian, and what would happen is parents um, would take this, this tutor, and that person would be responsible for their boy. Okay, most often girls um, studied in the home, under mom, um, and, and even that, anybody who went to school, like they had money. Okay, um, the poor didn't even go to school. They couldn't afford it. Okay, but those who did go to school oftentimes was the boys because the girls studied under mom at home. 
Okay, so a guardian or a tutor or a guide was someone who would take responsibility for, say, a boy. And here's what they would do. Um, They would see that they got to school um, every day and home from school. Um, They would see that their homework uh, was completed. Uh, They would assist in uh, behavior management, teaching them good behavior, um, teaching them uh, how to be respectful. Um, They demanded respect, and oftentimes they got respect. Okay, um, and, and parents would, would go through a pretty rigorous process to find a guide or a tutor that was good enough for the job. Okay, now, the only thing that I could really find an equivalent to in our day and age would be um, babysitting. Okay, so let's explore um, this idea of babysitting for a second. Okay, the difference between like a parent, the responsibilities of a parent versus the responsibilities of a babysitter, okay? So everyone in this room falls into this applying to you because you've either uh, had a babysitter for your child or you've been babysat before. I was running through the stories in my head about babysitting and and the trouble I gave to my babysitters, Um, but I'll spare you. Um, But but, okay, check this out. I think this is going to be up here. Um, Okay, so a babysitter. Um, oftentimes a babysitter is simply someone who has responsibility, but it's just kind of a helpful responsibility, right? Um, they're not making massive decisions for the kid, right? That's going to affect their life. They're making it like, you know, should I give them milk right now or not? Um, should I put them in a timeout right now or not? Should we play outside or stay inside? Um, should they go to bed? Should they watch this? Okay, they're taking responsibility, okay? They, they enjoy the child, Okay, and I'm generalizing. There's some exceptions to these. They enjoy the child, but it's more so like the surface love, right? Um, they're there loving the kid while they're there, but my guess is they're probably not calling the kid every day. Um, they're there working in that moment, doing a good job, being responsible, um, most often for pay, right? You're gonna, they're going to get some pay. You don't pay them well enough, yeah, they probably got something going the next time you call them up. Okay, um, and they're focused on this partial fulfillment, just if the kid can just behave while the parents are gone, and I can, you know, it can be sane, then it's a success. But what about a parent? Okay, good parents we're talking about here. There's a lot of exceptions here. Um, as I run through these, you're like, I know a lot of parents that don't, okay, um, Complete responsibility. A good parent's going to say, I'm absolutely responsible for all that happens with my child. Okay, unconditional love, unwavering love. They're going to pour out love no matter what, no matter what. Babysitter, they're in it for just that night. So why do they have to stick it out? They just got to stick it out for that night. Okay, what happens when that kid begins to make bad decisions and bad decisions? And bad? They don't, they're not, they're not responsible. They maybe care, but they don't really care, okay? A parent, like, they're there no matter what. They're always around. They're developing the life of this kid, okay? Um, Let's go with another example um, that I think will help. Um, Employee versus owner, okay? Um, Anybody in here like a boss at work? Raise your hand. A couple people? They have a boss. Okay? Um, anybody want to be the boss? 
<laughs> All right? Um, so he, here's the difference. An employee, more or less, they're working for a paycheck. Okay? Um, you know, people talk at work all the time. It's payday. That's all they're thinking about. They're there. Um, they're focused on that individual shift. I clock in. You know, I kind of get my job done. I clock out. Right? Um, their, their expectations are pretty low, pretty moderate, nothing over the top. They're just kind of there to kind of see that things happen so that I get in too much trouble. They get in, get the job done, get out. You work with those kind of people, right? Um, the, the owner or the boss, look at the d- distinction here. Um, they work to see success in the long term. So while they're there for that day and they, they care about that day, they're thinking about way more than that specific day. They're thinking about the next day and the next day, and they're thinking about like you know the results at the end of the fiscal year. Um, they're thinking about way more than just that shift. Focusing on the overall operation, and their expectations are extremely high. Because if they weren't, you know what they might as well do? If their expectations aren't high, they might as well just stand at the door and let people come, their employees, and just hand them money and let them leave. Now they have over-the-top expectations, and the job is never done. There's always more to do. Can you identify with that? You see the distinction? Okay, now, let's narrow in on our example. Um, Go to the next one. Um, let's talk about accountability versus a, a spiritual father or a spiritual parent. Um, accountability, I think also what would fall under accountability would be um, community. Okay? When Paul says um, you have many guides, you don't have many fathers. Um, here, here's the difference. Okay? Accountability is based in, this is, my, this is how I would explain accountability. Okay? I'm generalizing, so there's going to be some exceptions. But accountability would be based in this problem-solution focused. Okay, so it's based in like, you know, you, oh, you're, you're struggling with this. Well, um, let's, let's try this this time. You know, um, you're struggling with lying. Um, well, next time you want to lie, let's bite your tongue, and then we'll see if that helps. That's just problem solution based, okay? Um, th- their accountability around community, or around occasionally, like when you need them, right? It's like, uh, hey, uh, hey, Joe, um, can, we, can we hang out? I've been struggling, and I need to get together and just talk through some stuff. Yeah, yeah, what, when, you know, when you need to hang out, um, right? I mean, that's, that's community. That's accountability. Um, they're there when you need them. They lead with questions, okay? How, how are you doing? I'm all right. Um, been struggling a little bit. It's kind of vague, right? Um, which which leads that accountability partner to be reactive. Okay? So, how are you doing? Well, not very good. Well, let's talk about this. So, I'm just reacting. Imagine, okay, if I took my kids, and this will be even more humorous because many of you know my kids, but if I took my kids, if I took Mikhail and I just reacted to everything with her. You know, Mikhail, today's the day you can kind of do what you want. And I'll come along and I'll guide you at times when I feel like you need guiding like, what's she going to do? She's going to watch on the iPad H2O, which is way too old for my four-year-old, all day long. She's going to role-play. Daddy, I'm Emma, and Ashley's the other girl. I'm like, no, like, you shouldn't be watching this. She doesn't watch it a ton, but she's like, loves mermaids. And, okay. um, and she would probably eat candy because we don't let her eat candy. Um, and 
as a parent, we would just react to everything. Okay, we could, we, we don't have to talk about the problems that would, that would, that would ensue from that. Um, accountability, uh, like a weekly commitment, yeah, I'll be there kind of every now and then, let's meet once a week, let's get together once a week, um, versus, uh, we'll get to the other side in a second, um, they point to others as examples. Okay, here's what I mean by this. Let's say you have a flat tire, okay? And I, I, I say, well, um, my Uncle John always said you got to loosen the lug nuts, but make sure you don't jack it up all the way before you loosen the lug nuts, or then it'll, you know, the tire will spin and you won't be able to get it off. And so make sure you, you know, jack it up a little bit, loosen the lug nuts, and then jack it up the rest of the way and then take them off. And, um, and then you put the new tire on and you're good. Okay, well... Many of you kind of followed what I just said, but maybe like, if you don't know how to change a tire, you're like, I don't really know what you mean, or I can kind of conceptualize what that looks like, but I don't really know. Like, you're point, I'm pointing to someone else as an example, but it's so intangible. It's not hands-on. Like, how do you do It's obscure in your mind, okay? Let's go to the other side. A spiritual parent. They're heart-focused, so um, in the sense of accountability, problem-solution-focused, um, it's not necessarily bad to look at problems and find solutions, but you can look at a problem and find a solution and never really address the issues of the heart. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Bite your tongue. Well, that's not going to address the issue of lying in your heart, deception in your heart if you just bite your tongue. Yeah, it might fix that one moment. Okay? The spiritual parent has constant influence. They're constantly present. It doesn't mean that the, that the child is constantly listening and heeding and responding, but the parent has constant influence. Okay? They lead with direction. So it's not reaction, it's proactive. It's, I'm going to set a vision for your life. Yes, I'm going to react to decisions you make and wrong choices that you make, but I'm going to set a direction and a tone for your life and call you to something, not just react to whatever you want to do. They're there for the long haul, lifelong commitment, and they put themselves up as the example. Okay? So it's not like, well, my Uncle Jim says this is how you change a tire. It's, let's, let's go change a tire. Let me, show, like, let me show you what Uncle Jim taught me. Um, what I mean by don't loosen the lug nuts before you raise it all the way up is this. Oh, now, now, I, now I see it. So it's, it's, it's not obscure. It's not abstract. It's very tangible. It's very hands-on. Okay, now, think about this for a second. Paul goes on. Look back at the scripture. In verse 15, here's what he says. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. It's like you got a lot of accountability. you got a lot of community. But as far as having spiritual authority in your life, Someone who will take responsibility for your spiritual progress. Well, we're kind of struggling there. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then he goes on in verse 16 to define spiritual parenting. Here's what he says. I urge you then, be imitators of me. And I just started writing a list of men who did this in my life, Matt Kearns, Bob Caldwell, Dave Greiner, Al Fuller, Gerald Altick, Tom Hufty, Alan Priest, 
men in my life who came beside me said, imitate me. Look, I'm going I'm to walk with you. I'm going to show you how to walk with Jesus. And you know what? Do, do you ever feel like you're, you think most often and respond most often to things the way people you respect? Okay? Or you, you talk to people and the people you respect, you're like, well, you know, my friend Jeff says it this way. Or Rick says it, like, why? Because that individual has modeled something for you and given you a tangible way to explain and understand something. Not just obscurity. Okay, now, man, I've wrestled with, with this one for the past two years. Imitate me. Okay, that's, does anybody find a problem with that? Is that tough for anyone else besides me? Because I could stand up here and I could talk about all, all the different reasons why someone shouldn't really imitate me or why I don't want someone to imitate me. Okay, on many levels. But here's the problem. You read the Bible and you, you, you read the life of Jesus and then you go tell someone, hey, do it, do what Jesus did. Okay, we can kind of interpret how that looks in our lives, but it's still obscure. It's like, Explaining someone how to change a tire versus going with them to actually change the tire. Okay? Now, how much of... Okay, parents, raise your hand. If you're a parent, raise your hand. How much of parenting is caught versus taught? Now, we could go into a whole, like, you know, psychology debate on, on this whole deal. You know, I did a Google search on it and got a whole bunch of hits. I don't know that there's really any Google search you do that you don't get a whole bunch of hits, but you know what I mean? Um, but how much is more caught than taught? Because here's what's interesting is you, you learn what you say by having little kids. Because Tobin will come around the corner and he'll be like, what the heck? Oh my God. Oh my gosh. What, Michael, did you teach Tobin how to say what the heck? Uh, you taught me and I taught Tobin. <laughs> like, like how, how does that work? Okay, Mikhail doesn't sit down with Tobin and teach him how to play dolls. Even though I spank him every time. No, not, not really. Okay, <laughs> but she doesn't. Why? She just does it. And what does he do? He's catching on. He's like, I, I don't sit down with my kids and teach them the English language. It's amazing to me. How kids pick up on what we say. I don't sit down and teach them all the things to say and not say and how to respond. They just see us doing it and they do it. Okay, take a one-year-old, put him in a room, give him food and water, some toys and some books, come back in three years. Do you have a normal four-year-old? Now, you probably don't have a kid that's still alive, obviously. Okay. But, but think about that. The impression of teaching, but, but more than that, the impression of watching my way of life 
the greatest example I can give my kids isn't a lesson in how they should forgive, but is a, is a lesson in me asking them to forgive me when I sin against them. There's no greater example. Because it's caught, not taught. And here's the interesting thing. You take any profession, okay? Um, mechanics, auto mechanics, um, electrical engineering, design, medicine, personal training, athletics. You take any profession, okay? And there's a level of schooling. You go to school, you, sit in, you take some classes, Okay? But you know how they have, um, like, student hair salons? Like, you go there and you pay a discounted rate because students are learning how to cut hair? Like, Danielle's grandpa used to go to those places all the time. Because um, I guess, like, at that age, like, you just don't really care, right? Or you, don't, you can't see that it's that good or whatever. But uh, I was thinking about this. What if they had, like, um, student, like, surgery school? Exactly, like, okay, like, discounted rate, come here, like, um, and you need uh, your gallbladder removed. <laughs> okay, just a warning, these kids are still learning, it could go bad. Like, no, it doesn't make any sense. Or you go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, okay, we're going to have to do this surgery. Is this the first time I've ever done this? I've read about it, um, I think I'm going to be good. Uh-uh. That's not how it works. There's a reason why med students take residencies and clerkships and they watch doctors perform for hours and hours and hours and hours. I'm looking at people that I could ask to respond to this based on their field who have to do hours and hours and hours of watching and learning and practicing before you're ever set free to go and do. Okay? One of the weirdest classes I ever took in school was preaching lab okay like they taught you how to preach and then you took a lab and i had to prepare a sermon and preach it to like 10 students which is so fake right because so much of like me is just this emotional drive of like what god's doing and like to have to just like rattle off a sermon because i'm getting a grade and there's a video camera and every student has a critique sheet and they're like so i'm i'm preaching to the top of heads and then at the end, they're like, this was bad, this was bad, let's watch it. Oh, your mannerisms were terrible. Okay? So, and I learned some things, um, which is kind of how we all would probably talk about our schooling. But you don't, you don't just pour information in someone and then set them free. Okay? Put that triangle up, Joe. He, here's, here's where we've gone wrong. Okay, information, classroom experience, where you're sitting in a classroom, information's pumped into your head, okay? Then what happens? Okay, I want you to go do that. Here's how you do, here's how you remove a gallbladder. Now go and find someone who will let you do it on them. No. You have cadavers, you have all these different ways you can practice without actually putting someone in harm's way, which is the lab experience. It's the imitation. It's the, come, let me show you how to change a tire, and then you can go change your own tire. And 
and where we've gone wrong in our discipleship. So we've said, here's what Jesus says to do. Information. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Don't kill, don't murder. Da, da, da. Pray without ceasing. Repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. Don't lie. Love your wife. Love your husband. Now go and do likewise. And like we like kind of stumble our way through life. Uh, how, do, how do I do that? When the road, if, you, if we look at the life of Christ and we see how he made disciples is he grabbed 12 guys and he said, come and be with me. Come and watch my life. Watch my interaction with my father. Watch my community with my father. Watch me. And then I'm going to send you out and you're going to go and you're going to do likewise. Look at verse 17. This is incredible. Paul says, that's why I sent you Timothy. Who's Timothy? My beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Did you see that? Timothy is someone that Paul took to be in a classroom, so to speak, invested in his life, imitate me, now go and do likewise. He's like, I'm sending you Timothy. Because I love him dearly, because I invested my life into him. If anything tragic ever happens to your kids or to your spiritual kids, okay, my buddy I discipled for several years who took his own life several years ago. Like, what do you do with that as a spiritual parent? That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He's like, I raised him up to be faithful in the Lord by God's grace. Okay, First Corinthians, um, I think 2 Corinthians 4 talks about we don't preach ourselves, but Christ. So when we put ourselves up as the example, we're putting up Christ in us and say, follow me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So here's the deal. The deal. Every single one of you in this room is called to be a spiritual parent. If you're a biological parent, first and foremost, to those kids. Okay? It's not the church's job to raise your kids spiritually. It's not your Christian school's job to raise your kids spiritually. It's not your grandparents' job to raise your kids spiritually. It is your responsibility. It is my responsibility. It's not your community's job to raise your kids spiritually. You are a spiritual parent, raising them up to maturity in the faith. But who else is around you? Who else has God put in your influence that he's calling you to say, imitate me, I want to come alongside you? Because we think that just telling someone to come to church and, and read the Bible and follow Jesus, they're going to make their own wise decisions to actually become mature in the faith. The problem is, is we don't ever see that example in Scripture. The example you see in Scripture is someone coming alongside someone else and saying, I'm going to show you how this works. So you're like, trying to, you're scratching your head trying to figure out if you've ever done this. 
Look at this verse on the screen. Here's the testing verse right here. Next one, Joe. Galatians 4. My little children. This is Paul. Not married, doesn't have any biological kids. My little children is how he begins the sentence. For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. Okay, ladies, you've been in childbirth. You know the anguish of that. Okay? Most intense thing to watch my wife deliver our son natural. The anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Parents, do you feel that way about your kids? Do you have people in your life that you're in anguish over their spiritual immaturity and you're walking alongside them to see that they're raised up in the faith? My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Well, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that exact anguish. And I officer sitting here like, absolutely, you know what I'm talking about. The question is, who is that in your life? Maybe your parent, biologically, and the anguish in your soul is just over like your kid's misbehavior. And it's not really over, is Christ being formed in them? They're maturing in Christ. Because a parent, as a biological parent, your, your soul, your heart, you should not be able to sleep at night over the salvation of your kids. That should keep you up at night. And if it doesn't, repent and ask Jesus to change your heart. But are there people in your lives that you believe God's given you a platform by the gospel to speak into their lives? Do you have an anguish for them that Christ would be formed in them and they be raised up to maturity in Christ? But here's the deal. It's got to be in you. you know, to say, imitate me. The, gospel, the, it must, the power of the gospel must be present in your own life. The work of the cross. This is how Jesus modeled and calls us to live our lives. In the church, in the corporate world, in the home, in the education system, in the political arena. What does that look like for you? Let's pray. Father God, you're faithful to us. Thank you for persevering your word over time that, that we have the truth of the scriptures that, that tells us all about who you are and what you've done for us. That gives us uh, the example of Christ and the pages of scripture that we can have um, not just a historical document, but we can have a love letter from you to us calling us into relationship with you. God, you're good and you're faithful. And I pray that you would call us to more and more depth 
to deeper intimacy with you, but more than that, that we wouldn't keep the faith in the, in the, the negative sense, in the hoarding sense like the Apostle Paul said, but didn't really mean it that way, this idea that he was faithful to the calling to be a disciple and to make disciples and to put his life on display. God, we need your help. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen.